there. Um, welcome to the show. This is Jeff Goldblum. And this is the Jeff Goldblum Full Throttle Show. Sounds like a little mix between Batman and Jeff Goldblum. Ooh. We're just jamming here. We're riffing around. It's Aristotle Full Throttle. I'm Aristotle Full Throttle. Welcome to the show. Gonna hang out, play some guitar with you, jam, maybe come up with some crazy riffs. You get, you can go out and steal them. Put them in your songs. Whatever riffs happen. If you're inspired, I'll, there are infinite riffs, and I'll lend them out. We'll co-write songs together. And uh, today we're talking about Maverick, Top Gun Maverick. Chop Gun Maverick, and also we're going to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi, the series, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Good golly, is it interesting? I like it, actually. I kind of like it. Well, let me know what you think. I'm talking about my review, my short review of Top Gun Maverick. It's, it's a perfect movie. It was perfect. It was Memorial Day. It was a Memorial Day type of movie. It had to do with, it, it was bang, pew, pew, whoosh, boom, and there was lots of story. There was heart. Like there wasn't even that much story. There was heart. There was character. There was uh, everything that was uh, humorous landed. Everything that was heartfelt landed. It was just a good, perfect movie. Perfect sequel. Did you like Top Gun Maverick? I feel like if you didn't like it, it's like saying, "Man, I don't like ice cream." like i can't do anything for you i I feel like i have zero complaints about the top gun movie i enjoyed every minute i was very uh very very entertained i don't know what people are looking for in movies these days back in the day it was very simple we got to do a thing let's do the thing okay let's go movies used to be they used to be way way simpler we got to get you back to the future and then then just said okay let's spend the movie getting you back to the future you know what I'm saying? That's Top Gun Maverick. They were like, we got to do a thing. Let's do it. Okay, go. How are we going to do it? I don't know. Let's try to figure it out. It's going to be hard. Let's do a training montage. That's what I like. How do you play uh, the Highway to the Danger Zone? I want to learn how to play that song. It's such a cool song. They did the sequel right. They did the sequel in the best way you could do a sequel, and it actually made me care for the characters. I cared for the people on the screen right from the get-go, and you don't even have to watch the original Top Gun to see this one. You could just go ahead and uh, watch this one cold, and you'll understand the backstory. They fill you in pretty well. It's just this power chord. So that's that's Top Gun right there. I just played it for you. And the... Yeah. Right. I went to the danger zone, bro. I'm here on Long Island. Hanging out, 
almost for the summer probably, mainly. How was your Memorial Day weekend? I had the greatest Memorial Day weekend ever. I went to a party where, lots of, where there was docks and there was boats, and I was the only brown person there because it was in Hamptons. It was in Hampton Bays. And if you're in Hampton Bays, you don't look like me. Uh, but I went there, and I said, I looked around, I said, there's boats, and there's no one who looked like me here. And, ironically enough, there was a band that was a cover band, of course, because you cannot be a band here on Long Island unless you play other people's music, it turns out. And the cover band, incidentally, was a ska-slash-reggae cover band. And guess what they did? They did covers of Billy Joel, because it's Long Island. And if you don't know about Billy Joel in Long Island, then uh, Google it. Billy Joel's from Long Island, and he'll never let you forget it. So now let me just tell you about this. Uh, it was ironical because it was this band playing a ska covers. I felt like I was infiltrating a secret society of white Long Island people. You know what I mean? It was super duper, very white, very Long Island. It was as white and Long Island as it possibly can get. I felt like I was, I wasn't supposed to be there almost but i had a great time actually i really enjoyed myself it was fun uh i just i was laughing at the absurdity of it all i was like of course you're playing billy joel all white reggae band yeah you love hearing tuning so to the danger zone so i saw top gun maverick yesterday my parents my father was in the navy so he's basically been waiting his entire life to see this movie uh it's it was good i highly recommend top gun maverick i enjoyed the heck out of it i felt like it was an instant classic i felt like it was a perfect movie a perfect sequel and i watched also the first two episodes of obi-wan kenobi And I uh, thought that it was good. I think it's a good show. I think that if you've watched Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'd love to have a discussion with you and what you think about it. But I think there are actual stakes in this, in this uh, TV show. There are actual stakes. They're not Trump stakes. They're real stakes. S-T-A-K-E-S. I thought that it was really important that there'd be stakes if they're going to go ahead and do 10 years before the original Star Wars. I wonder if Han Solo's going to show up. I don't know. Rick Wozniak says, Obi-Wan! What's up, Rick Wozniak? Welcome to the show. I'm Aristotle Full Throttle. Did you see Top Gun Maverick? Or we can pick and choose what you want to talk about. You want to talk about Obi-Wan? Well, let me tell you what my thoughts on Obi-Wan. Ewan McGregor is a boss. I feel like the prequels are universally reviled by anybody who likes the original movies. But if you are probably Generation Z, if you're Gen Z, you think that the prequels are better than the originals because there's something wrong with your brain. Your brain has not fully developed yet. But the problem with the prequels is they're bad. And if you like them, you like bad things. But uh, everybody also universally loves the fact that Ewan McGregor played Obi-Wan Kenobi. Isn't that funny? You can hate the prequels all day, all that you want. But at the end of the day, you're like, but yeah, you McGregor, he was good, though. He was good, though. Yeah, he's good. He's a good Obi-Wan. I watch Obi-Wan. But uh, 
I'm trying to get trying to get in tune. So everybody, don't you find that to be a funny phenomenon? I don't hate I don't hate Christian Haydenson or Hayden Christensen or whatever you want to call him. I don't hate him. I think he's a good actor. I think that a lot of people though have a have an issue of uh why is this not working? Okay, close yeah. Uh, they, I think they don't they don't understand that he is actually quite a good actor. You know what I mean? But I think the problem with him is he's not a good actor on the green screen. If you don't give him anything to play with, I, I think that Christian Haydenson got a bad sh- got a bad rap in the prequels, episodes two and three, because of this reason alone. Uh, George Lucas is like, imagine Star Wars. Okay, go. And it's like, George Lucas, Star Wars is a thing that you came up with inside your head. How is anybody else going to imagine that? And he's just, just imagine there's like a Star Wars as your background. Okay, go. So he's trying to leave it up to the actors to like come up with Star Wars. And only one guy came up with Star Wars, and that was George Lucas. And he's just telling these actors on a green screen. I'm like, say, say look at me. I'm on this weird yellow screen or whatever. And you go, Okay, Aristotle. Now imagine there's Star Wars. Go. You can't... I can't just invent that in my head, even though a good actor could, like Ewan McGregor. I think Ewan McGregor was focused more on the relationship between himself and the character opposing him. Episodes 2 and 3, or whatever Star Wars movie prequel that you're watching. The actors are not interacting with what's going on around them, so it's almost... stupid. (sighs) Because there'll be like a tentacle creature, and they'll be like, hi, tentacle creature, here's a sandwich. They won't even like react to what's going on around them, and there's always millions of things going on around them. Uh, The last scene in episode two with Obi-Wan was fantastic. Remind us all that last scene. Was it the one with where he fights Count Dooku? Because I, to this day, will fight... I used to say episode two was the worst Star Wars movie, but you know what I think that worst Star Wars movie is now? Episode nine. Episode nine is by far the worst Star Wars movie, and then episode two. Episode two is a terrible, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad movie. And uh, But at least it has redeeming factors. Episode nine is is worse than that. It's worse. And I said, why did you make me go see this a second time? My friend said, you got to go see it again. And I said, I don't ever want to watch that movie again as, for, as long as I live. And then my other friend, she said, I want to see it because I, I want to finally see the Star Wars movies. You got to explain to me what's going on to, in the Star Wars movie. And I'm like, okay, I'll go see it, but you have to pay for it because I don't ever want to pay for this movie ever again. And she did. And then I watched the movie and I said, I still hate it. It's still bad. <laughs> it's still bad. Um... No, to the show where Darth Vader was opening his eyes in the back to take. Oh, yes. Okay. (laughs) So episode two of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now I'm reading that correctly. So the final scene. Yes. That's the best part about Ewan McGregor playing Obi-Wan is Ewan McGregor is an excellent actor. So you feel the conflict. You see the conflict in his eyes when he's thinking about, should I go on this mission? Now, if you guys aren't watching Obi-Wan, spoiler alert. You got until midnight, and then they come out with episode three, so check it out. Well, this guitar's not staying in tune because it's humid. But uh, the the greatest part about the Obi-Wan show is that Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Ewan McGregor, 
you could see the conflict in his eyes. You see that he's like, ah, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. But it's actually really cool and motivated because you're like, of course. Now, spoiler alert, little Princess Leia is in this show. Little Princess Leia, I think, is adorable and cute and has the attitude that Princess Leia should at that age especially. And uh, I find it interesting that, and it makes sense, because why would, in episode four, this is ten years before episode four, why would you say, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope? Because she has an established relationship with Obi-Wan, and I don't think they ever interact in the original series. So we never see that they have a history. We just see Obi-Wan get struck down and become more powerful than they ever imagined. Um, I project, pun intended, we're going to get some Liam Neeson's. Liam Neeson's is my shiz. Liam Neeson's going to be in it, and I think Liam Neeson's going to show up finally. Because I feel like in the original Star Wars trilogy, we were like, when is Liam Neeson going to come back after episode one? And he never did. And then even in the end of episode three, Yoda was like, yo, I figured it out. I tapped into the the, the universal juice. And, uh, and I, I could commune with your old master. I can teach you. And uh, so I think at this in this show, we're going to commune with with. Uh, with a Liam Neeson's. Why would they keep teasing that? Why would they keep showing... Why would they tease the fact that uh, Bail Organa was dressed in the Jedi robes? And, the, you know, why would they show Obi-Wan waking up in the middle of the night like, Whoa, master! You know? So we're going to get some uh, revisits from some old characters, which is going to be cool. I wonder if Yoda's going to be in it. Yoda could be in it too. If he goes to Dagobah, you must go to the planet of Dagobah to train with the Jedi Master named Yoda. Maybe we're going to hang out on Dagobah. But uh, I don't think... So I think originally people were probably like, oh, this is going to be about young little Luke Skywalker because Obi-Wan's looking after Luke on Tatooine and all that stuff. And I, I was like... Uh, this actually makes more sense. This makes more sense that they probably rewrote the series for him to be looking after Leia because they had to rewrite this entire series, apparently. Uh, Deborah Chow's directing all the episodes. So far, so good. They look cool. I'm into it. I feel the stakes. I feel that uh, cool things are going to happen in this show. And so far, I'm invested. I also like the fact that... um... Oh, I had a thought. I had a thought, but it left me. Obi-Wan's conflicted. Oh, Uncle Owen. Uncle Owen, played by... If you remember his name, put it in the chat. I think that the actor who is playing Uncle Owen probably watched a lot of video or a lot of footage of the original actor who played Uncle Owen because he does a lot of... He does a lot of, like, ticks that the original actor played, and I thought that was cool. Like, he was really paying attention to the way the old, the other actor played this character. And he, like, grabs his belt and he moves his head and he says things in a way that the other actor who originated the character of Uncle Owen, that's what how he, Joel Edgerton, is playing him. Is that his name? Don't drop the pick. 
So I thought that that's cool. I thought that was a nice touch that the actor who's playing Uncle Owen is basically acting like the actor who originated the role. But it's going to be interesting because this is only 10 years before we see the characters in the original series. So they got to get old quick. <laughs> Obi-Wan's got to go gray in like the next three weeks to, to match looking like Alec Guinness. But I think, I think, why not? Why don't they just do three seasons of Obi-Wan at least before they do, before it gets to the age where he's supposed to be in episode four? He's actually older than Alec Guinness was when Alec Guinness was in Star Wars, apparently. Ewan McGregor is. I'm trying to think of favorite figure out a song. Hold, wait for it. Nope. It's in a different key, so. Rick Wozniak says, I'm intrigued as to why Riva is so obsessed with Obi-Wan. That's her daddy. I don't know. I like that she says the Jedi will hunt themselves, which is true. It's true. That's a really good point that she made where she said the Jedi, they're going to hunt themselves. Watch this. I'm going to hang a Jedi in the square. I'm going to wait for the Jedi to come out the woodwork. I'm not going to hunt them down. They're going to hunt themselves. So that's the third sister you're talking about, Reva. I think that uh, it's interesting that they don't really play fully any musical themes from the original uh, yet, but they will. They will, and it'll be chills-inducing. Is uh, our friend Ludwig Gorenson doing the music for this one? Not stay in tune, but that's okay. Welcome to the Aristotle Full Throttle Tuning Hour. Ooh. One second. I'll never forgive myself.
she's a former Jedi. Yeah. Maybe she was a former Jedi, Rick Wozniak. I might I might have to uh, agree with that. She does seem to have the powers of the Force. She does wield a lightsaber, a red one. I'm not sure I like this Inquisitor's idea, but whatever. You know, you just got to go with whatever. They came up with the cartoons and then just adapt it to the big screen because people will start to throw a fit if they're like, I saw it in the cartoon and it wasn't in the show. You know, I feel like people need to get their little banky, you know. feel like people are upset when it comes to that kind of thing. That's a cool acoustic version. Slash, come at me, bro. Um, yeah, I wonder. We'll see. We'll see why she's trying to hunt this. I did. I did really enjoy the fact that Christian Hadenson or Hayden Christensen or whatever you want to call him is going to come back as Darth Vader. He is Christian Hadenson is ten feet tall, so that is good. Is uh, shout out to tall actors out there, uh, and I think that he can. He's going to don the suit, and he's going to be Darth Vader. For real, and maybe we'll see him without the mask a lot, so he'll do a lot of eye acting and stuff. But he's got he's got to have that respirator on because he got his lungs burnt out from the, from screaming and the fire. And he said, "Hey, I hate you," and you know all that. I did like that last little bit. I have the high ground, you know. If you come at me, I'm gonna chop your arm and legs off. Watch out. <laughs> okay, you asked for it. It's basically what Obi-Wan said. But I did, yes, Rick Wozniak, that last moment, because Hugh McGregor used his acting skills. You said, yes, Anakin is alive. And you saw, he was like, uh-oh. His whole life, that last 10 years, he's been struggling with the fact that he killed his apprentice. and uh, Or he thought he killed his apprentice, but no, it came upon him, uh-oh. Not only did he survive, which is crazy, but secondly, that's not good news. <laughs> that's terrible news. <laughs> that is terrible news. Because she said, Darth Vader's out there. And he said, wait, what, say what? Darth Vader, my apprentice gone evil, turned Darth Vader for like 15 minutes. He was, he was a human version of Darth Vader for about 15 minutes. And then he's like now a robotic version 
a cybernetic version of Darth Vader with the respirator. Darth Vader, you know, he would have been more dashing with long hair, you know. But now he's got his head all he's got all burned up, you know. He got burnt up. That's what happens when you fight on a planet made of lava. Watch out, you might fall in it. But that was a cool sequence. One of my favorite sequences in all of Star Wars actually takes place in Episode 3. The birth of Darth Vader is a very birth of Frankenstein part all the way up into the moment. Dear Padme, what happened to her? I'm afraid you killed her. It's your anger. And you all know what happens next. You all know what happens next. That's the part I don't like. I do like it for the meme worthiness of it. new songs. Kurt Cobain, the ghost of Kurt Cobain, please bless me with your wrist. song you might have heard it it's uh it's got some good lyrics lyrics as a kid i read those liner notes i said throw down your umbilical noose so i can climb right back well i get it now i understand that sort of I'm happy to perhaps fulfill them. Oh, remember that one? Why'd I do that? saying this about his friend my friends are so depressed i feel they're burning up on lava planets and sometimes you gotta kill them when you got the higher ground that's another song by the chili peppers couple anyway high ground Ladies and gentlemen, how ground? Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. I wonder why she's so obsessed with hunting down Obi Wan, and Obi Wan's got to rescue the child. She's he's got to, everybody. All these series about rescuing kids because it's Disney, and you gotta have a little kid. 
You have a cute little alien kid, cute little human kid, and a literal Disney princess. Princess Leia is now a Disney princess. Uh, interestingly enough, it's cool because Flea, I was just playing some Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Flea, Flea is in the Obi-Wan series. As soon as he showed up, I said, Needles? Needles from Back to the Futures 2 and 3? Also Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers? You're in this show? <laughs> cool. Uh, all right. I'll buy it. But, um, you know, I like the fact that uh, Princess Leia... But here's the thing. Bail Organa and Obi-Wan Kenobi were entrusted in watching after these two twins, these two space twins, the Star Wars, Luke, Luke and Leia. They were entrusted and also encrusted with the duty to watch these kids. So when one gets stolen, Bale's like, look, this is our job. We have to save the galaxy and all that, or at least, uh, you know, keep these kids away from their father, who is not a good guy. Killed a bunch of kids, this dad. Not dad of the year, I'll tell you that much. This is a uh, Anakin. I killed all of them. I chopped them with my lightsaber. So many, so many. You see, Anakin Skywalker killed all the kids. That is big duty. Welcome, blurred words. Leia is so sassy because she's Leia. Biggest hits, my friends. Um, that's Big Twinkie. What did you guys think of Obi Wan's Kenobi series? What did you guys think of Maverick, Top Gun Maverick? I thought Top Gun Maverick was a perfect movie, a perfect sequel, excellent in every way. All the cast, all the story, all the characters, so much fun, great. It's like a big Star Wars blockbuster type of show. It does not have to be more complicated than it is. It's very simple and streamlined. I loved it. And I'll go see it again. I'll say that. Even knowing that it's played, the main character is played by a Scientologist. Listen, I'm not racist against Scientologists. I just don't like it. I just don't like anyone who is a Scientologist. We don't allow those kind. I'm kidding. I live right around the corner from the Scientology celebrities, or the blue one, the big blue Scientology center, which is crazy. I live two blocks away from there. I can't see it from where I live, but if I walk basically a block and a half, there it is. Really, I don't remember the first one. Do I lose ner- some nerd cred? 
You don't remember the first one, what? <laughs> Rick Wozniak says, I want to see Top Gun Maverick so bad. Well, Rick Wozniak, I promise you it won't disappoint. It is a great movie. It's just fun. It's like, it's not only fun, it's good, and it's got, it makes you laugh, it makes you cry, and makes you kiss your 27 bucks goodbye or whatever a movie ticket costs us nowadays. I saw it in, in IMAX, and it was really cool to also... I actually went to go see Top Gun Maverick because I was like, you know, Tom Cruise does all the, like, the... the cockpit riding he'll ride the cockpit so i'll I'll be like hey tom cruise uh i know that you're really in the cockpit when they're showing photographs of you in the cockpit uh, but nobody asked you to do that but okay cool so it does look cool it gives it a sense of uh realism on the fact that it is real you see the they just put the camera on the on the windshield or whatever you want to call it the cockpit and you see like Tom Cruise reacting to the physics of being in an actual fighter. And it's really cool. You never saw the first Top Gun, says Blurred Words. Well, Top, well, Blurred Words, okay, be 10 years old and watch it. First of all, be 10 years old and then watch Top Gun. Maybe like 13. And it'll hit you, it'll hit right. Because after I saw Top Gun, I got like an F-14 Tomcat um, model glue, you know, put it together. I was all into it. My father was in the Navy. He was, he served in the Navy. He did four years, uh, four year, uh, service for the Navy. He was one of these guys. Semaphore. He was a semaphore guy. He was like, go over there, go over there with the jet, go over there with the jet. That's what his job was. So of course his entire life was leading up to this moment to watch this movie. So he was very excited. Uh, he was very vocal in the theater shouting at the screen and you got to go, Hey, this isn't our living room. There's other people here. <laughs> but at the same time, the excitement it was, he just could not contain his excitement. Uh, I think he really thought he was on the ship <laughs> at some point, <laughs> but he did enjoy that type of movie. It is a fun, good summertime blockbuster. It does. It does. It hits right. Uh, but blurred words, you don't have to see the first top gun. You don't have to see the first Top Gun to like this one. You'll get all you need from it, but it does help. It does help if you watch the first Top Gun because there's a lot of heart in that movie. It's just It's just a Tony Scott jam, you know? It's a good movie, and then this movie feels like its predecessor. Uh, I mean, sorry, its uh, sequel. <laughs> it feels like its successor. Uh, it is such a good, a good time at the movies. It's a great sequel. I just, I can't, I can't say anything more glowing about it. It's just a fun, perfect, excellent movie. It does everything right. It just does a move. It just does everything right. And the people who have these nitpicky complaints about it, I'm like, I can't imagine complaining about anything about this movie. It does it it's self it's not even that it's self-aware. It's just in earnest. Every little bit of the movie is in earnest. Hey Capucci, welcome. Um is starting to dirty dancing. But you're starting to get dirty looks from your hus- husband about uh, not seeing it. You feel the need. The need for speed. Um, this movie made me feel the need, for, the need for speed. I was really enjoying it. I really felt completely invested the whole time. It's just from moment one to the end. Uh, I feel the need. The need for Scientology, he says. Uh, but yeah. Highway to the Danger Zone. 
Power to the danger zone, he says. Um, they do everything right. They do everything right in the sequel. I've never seen a sequel that was... I mean, there are some sequels that are excellent. There are some sequels that are better than the first. This one probably is better than the first movie. But movies have changed since the first movie came out. So you got to re- realize how excellent the first one was in the context of the time. Also, you have to realize how movies literally have changed in how they're physically made and also how they're constructed. There's a more... But not much... Ever since Star Wars was like, here's how you make a blockbuster movie. Star Wars, the original New Hope in 1977, they said, Here you, here's how you do it, folks. You're welcome. Forever, movies will be like this movie. Hollywood blockbuster movies will follow this format exactly. <laughs> like every great, you know, sometimes they, play, they tweak the format a little bit. But if you want that perfect blockbuster uh, feeling... Star Wars is the is the blueprint for all of us. Uh, you might not like it. You might be like whatever. Sometimes about ten years ago, so ago, I'd be talking about Star Wars with my friends. You know, sometimes it'd be mostly b- boys who were talking about Star Wars, and you know, sometimes there'd be someone snarky coming over of the female gender, and they would say, "Oh, are you boys talking about Star Wars again?" And I'd say, "Hey, look, Star Wars." It's just, it's like dirty dancing, but, you know, sometimes, but, but for boys, you know, it's, 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 and then it usually stops people in their tracks. <laughs> Someone makes fun of you for something that you like. Tell them about something that they like that is all, uh, that is equally perhaps frivolous. <laughs> and then watch, watch what happened. They're like, uh, uh, malfunction. I can't smoke it, smoke, smoke in the ears. Uh, how do I make fun of you for liking a thing if I like a thing that is also equally frivolous? <laughs> I like it. I enjoy being like the Iceman. Um, Kathy Bluch says, I've never seen the first one, lol. Did you see anything ever everywhere all at once? I did, blurred words. I saw everything every time, all the things at once, all the times for 30 minutes too long, I thought. Also, but uh, yeah, I did see that movie. I didn't think it was like the godsend of all movies. I just thought it was a good movie. <laughs> but here's another thing that took me out of the movie, Blurred Words. I used to work a lot of movies and I spent weeks in the building that they shoot most of the movie in. So the movie, when it takes place in that office building, I've worked in that. It's in Simi Valley. I know exactly what building it is. I've worked in there. It's just an empty building that's used for filming and they have a bunch of empty cubicles. So I've been like set up with my computer and my camera and everything. And I'd work, I'd go over it. It was like the longest days of my life, even though I love working on movies. And every time I'm on a movie, I say, I, there's no place I'd rather be than working on this movie right here. Cause I want to make something. I want to work on something, make something entertaining. But, uh, <laughs> it took me out of the movie a little bit. Cause I was like, I know exactly where that is. I know that they are at the bottom of those two stairs and the atrium of this building that I've spent long days in. But that aside, the movie was great. Everything all the way, all at once, every, every, all at the same time. I saw that movie. I thought it was good. I thought it was 30 minutes too long, but I thought it was great. I loved that the actor uh, who played Short Round, incredible actor, put him in everything from now on. I'm glad he's making his comeback as an actor. He's so great. And 
Uh, Michelle Yeoh is a boss, yo. Blurred Word says, uh, say Rick Bosniak says, the first four minutes of the original Top Gun gives me goosebumps to this day. Talk to me, goosebumps. Yes. Top Gun is just a fun time. When you watch, when you watch Top Gun, check your brain at the door. Stop. Don't be like, I need a subplot. I need a other, I need, uh, what's the political climate? Let me, no, stop. It's very simple. It's straightforward. It's elemental. And it's beautiful. And the sequel does just that to a T. It's excellent. I'm sick of all these convoluted movies and people are like, I need art. You know, no, you need entertainment in your life. If you want to entertainment, watch Top Gun Maverick. That will be entertaining up the wazoo. Excellent. It has heart. It's got the feels. It's got the, the, the chills, the spills, the thrills, the kills. It's good stuff. Good stuff. And I don't care if some people are like, oh, it's the military. It's so patriotic and jingoistic. I don't like to watch uh, military promotional movies. It's come on, man. It's just fighter planes shooting things. Come get with it. Stop being so pretentious. I can't take it. War, what is it good for? Nothing. That's why you make movies. You make movies for war. That's where war is good. Star Wars. I like a Star War. Don't give me real war. We ain't even heard about Ukraine in, a, in forever. Because people are like, that's old news. That genocide that's happening right now under our nose. I hate it. I hate real war. But give me fake war in movies all day. Bird Wars is what? That's Oh, that's awesome. Well, to me, fair enough. If I see movies that, that are in a classrooms, I kind of get out of it. Interesting. Well, there is some classrooms in, in Top Gun, but it's it's like classroom drama. It's good. You're watching it now, LOL, Capucci. Well, good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you 3D version. Highway to the danger zone. What comes next? Dubber dubber D. Dubber dubber D. Oh, that's the 80s. That's the 80s synth. Let's hear that. That's the 80s arpeggiator. It's one chord. No, Dre, what did you think about Maverick, Top Gun Maverick? Here it is. Okay. What was that chord? Hold on a second. Oh, there it is. Give me a second here. Highway to the danger zone. How 
highway to the danger zone. Uh, Blur Word says, I'm a math teacher, so I feel like I've been in the room too long. Thing about movies. Uh, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. I agree. It was a great movie. Excellent in every way. I was I was with them. There were some really cool tactical maneuvers these jets did, and it was fun to watch. And it was fun to watch like the old technology versus the new technology. Highway to the danger zone. I'm telling you, I'm gonna get copyright strike. Arpeggiator. I gotta like stop it every two seconds because that's like this. Yeah. Top Gun was great. Top Gun Maverick also great. Top Gun. Uh, I don't know. They're gonna come out with fifty more Top Guns. It's crazy that it's a sequel that's thirty-six years later. You know what I mean? It's like they said, how do we cash in on this nostalgia stuff? Top Gun was a good movie. Let's make more of those, they said. The next thing you go, hey, how about E.T. 14? We'll do some E.T. movies. We'll do Close Encounters of the Seventh Kind. Let's do all kinds of movies. Jaws 47. Let's do it. Blurred Word says, there, what are all the songs you hype you up while you're in a classroom? How to your diploma? to the d- diploma zone graduation zone don't but you gotta sing it like Kenny Loggins you gotta highway to the danger zone gonna take my way to the danger zone it's almost like James Hetfield except it's not at all like James Hetfield it's more like Kenny Loggins highway to it's like earnest that song is the encapsulation of top gun you listen to that song and the guy's like singing about highway to a danger zone what are you talking about king loggins don't worry about it just go with it just go like this yes yeah woot that's all you got to do bang your head because you're on a, a highway to a danger zone bro if, you're not, if you don't do that. Chiropter says, I would like to defend nitpicking and pretentiousness as valid ways to engage in every movie. I would like to say that uh, I disagree. Because if I was to sit there and eat an oatmeal cream pie and enjoy it, I would not sit there and go, you know, this could use a little more salt. I would say, no, this is an oatmeal cr- cream pie. It is what it is, and I get what I get, and I'm, want, and I'm in the mood for it. <laughs> so that's, that's my opinion on that. I think nitpicking on uh, every little thing, Sometimes the simplicity is the beauty. If you were to add complexity to a movie like Top Gun, you would be taking away from its fundamental essence, which are which are the redundancy. Doctor no, no, Two says Tom Cruise is also doing Mission Impossible Seven, Eight, and Nine because he cannot stop. If it was so impossible, how come he keeps doing it? <laughs> How's it going? Wait, it could be like. You know, can you count what that's in? It's in a different time signature. It's one of those soundtracks that's in a different time signature. 
Consider that adding complexity is fun, says Chiroptera. I love that you challenge me. Well, I would like to say that adding complexity to simplicity is uh, the opposite of what I was going to say physicians do. (laughs) Well, physicists. (laughs) Physicists say that all of the laws of nature, for, for, for instance, should be eloquent and simple. They should be like E equals MC squared. It should boil down to a simplistic, beautiful form. And sometimes things and it's... You can, you can express E equals MC squared in a way more complicated fashion. That is Einstein's famous equation for uh, relativity and all that, or the transference of energy to matter, matter to energy. Uh, the fundamental understanding of our universe, you can complicate that, or you can have something that's very simple. And I do like the simplicity of things. There's a there's a whole culinary experience that you can enjoy where they just say, well, let's just use four ingredients. Four ingredients is all you need because after that, you might start to add unnecessary complexity. Um, Penny uh, asks if it's in 5-8 time. Let's see. Yes, or 5-4, whatever you want. Correct, Mundo Penny, you get the you get the bingo today. You get the A for the day. Congratulations, Penny. You've rung in with the correct response. Thank you very much. It's very interesting. Uh, there's a lot of songs with like that weird... There's um, also. Uh, wait. There's also if you watch if you listen to NPR like I do. There's a show called Money Watch, and it's in a weird time signature. And I'm always like, I see you, Money Watch. You're trying to throw me off my game, Money Watch, but I see you. You're in an odd time signature. Um, that's a theme song for Money Watch. If you, uh, you're ever bored and you're listening to NPR, sounds about right. Chiroptera says... It's also a way of exploring one's own creativity using existing work as a playground. Well, I would say for me in a lot of my um, creative endeavors, when I look for the simplest route, especially if I'm editing a video, if I'm editing a video for the joke, sometimes I can go complex, complicated and I could get convoluted with the joke, which is sometimes funny, I'll give you that, but like a visual representation of a joke... But I would say the shortest route is usually the best route. It usually hits harder, especially for jokes. Unless you're Norm MacDonald and you take 12 minutes to tell a joke, but the entire time you're telling the joke, it's funny. And then the punchline is kind of like, whatever, doesn't matter. Punchline never matters with Norm MacDonald. Rest his soul. 
Uh, Penny Citrola says, I still count along with Black Dog. Comes on the radio thanks to your lesson of many, many years ago. I still can't count along with that, so you got. I always have to listen for the stick clicks. But I think it's, what, 17 beats? Uh, the thing about that song is really interesting is that the drums are playing in a different time than the guitar part. They're playing in diff- two different time signatures overlapping in a very way in in a way that only those two human beings could do together effectively um that's john bonham and and jimmy page but yes uh that is a very really it's a really cool song I, i still don't know how to play it correctly I would have to listen for the stick clicks. I would I wouldn't count it if I was playing that live. I would just I would just hear doo, 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 doo. I would let the drummer count it for me. <laughs> listen, I'm too lazy to count, drummer. I'm going to feel this out and I'm going to wait for those stick clicks. It's almost Pavlovian. If you count off 4, I'll just start playing. I mean, it's literally Pavlovian. Uh Noel Dreyer 2 says, Tom Cruise also did a movie called Oblivion, but never watched it. So, who has seen it and thinks it's worth watching? I saw it. It's worth watching. For this reason, there's an actual technology that was introduced in that movie, or at least utilized to a really cool extent, that they use now basically for every Star Wars series on Disney. There's a 360-degree projection screens on a lot of it, because there's a, a lot of times people live... There's a lot of shots of... Tom Cruise up in these clouds in this aerial, this aircraft. And um, in order to get just real reactive lighting and the real color temperature and everything like that while they were shooting, it's basically just all of the clouds and stuff around him are the, the actual accurate light is being cast upon the subject in that from whichever angle you're shooting it at. So is it, so they use that now with the, uh, I think it's called the volume stage, or a volume stage, where they just use 360, it's like a dome, so I guess it's a 180 degree dome, of, um, of LED screens now, where you can manipulate any image in the background, and it's very cool because it uses a lot of um, parallax. So wherever the camera is, the one eye of the camera the entire background reacts in real time and shifts on account of the, the parallax effect. So when the actors are in the scene, what they see as a human being looking around them on the screen of a 180 degree dome of imagery that is being um, illuminated around them because it's LED screens, they, they can react now live. I was joking earlier about how Creighton, Creighton, Hitchinson, Hayden, Christian Haydenson, Hayden, Johnson from Star Wars movies, he he was pretty pretty wooden because he didn't really know what he was reacting to. Now the actors get to like react with environments that are virtual; they're around them. They get to see them. However, when they're present, they will be changing into these weird shapes in order to accommodate the the view of the lens. But it's 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 pretty neat. 
I see it all the time now, especially in all the Star Wars. There's a really cool episode of Boba, Book of Boba Fett last season. I mean, I call it uh, Mandalorian season 2.5. The episode four, I think, it was, which was just an episode of The Mandalorian, three or four. They do a really cool tracking shot that lasts several minutes, and it's all on the volume. And what they had to do, he goes on an elevator, so the back, the screen in the background is is projecting or there's an image of him descending in this elevator. So there's a whole part where the tracking shot follows the Mandalorian onto an elevator. So now we're following him. The background is moving around to accommodate his, the view of the camera. And then he's on this, there's a shot where he's on the elevator. The elevator's going like this and it gets off the elevator and the entire stage essentially changes. So they have to change. This episode was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard too. Excellent. And uh, he walks around and he continues to walk into like a boardroom and this whole thing. So they had to do some real cool stagecraft to make that shot happen. And I can't wait. I don't know if they have the behind the scenes of that, but I did notice that while watching it. I was like, oh, this is just one take. This is a one long tracking shot. And they're just changing the environment on the screens as the Mandalorian is walking around this whole scene. When in reality... He was on one stage of, you know, a fixed width, but then had to walk around. But they moved things around so that when the camera was over here, they're moving a bunch of stuff around so that when he comes off of the elevator, which was not a real elevator, he's just walking back in this direction. Now the whole scenery, or at least the cast, the extras, and some of the props have all changed because now he's on a new floor of the airport, of the spaceport he was at. It's really cool. Really cool. Check it out. Watch that scene again. You'll see what I'm talking about. Beautifully designed machines, cool soundtrack, love stories with humans working together to survive the way they always have. Yes, Oblivion is an underrated sci-fi movie. It's actually pretty good. Reminds me a little of the movie Moon, in a way. Unless you've seen the movie Moon. You see the movie Oblivion. I'm freezing. That's actually pretty warm down here. Uh-oh. Well, then I must go. I must go. I must leave you with that. Hopefully. Hopefully you heard some of that. <laughs> hopefully you heard what I was talking about. It was, it was incredible. It was a revelatory. It was the uh, most interesting, interesting thing you'll find on the internet today. Sorry that I'm freezing. I'm not trying. I'm not intentionally doing that. I just... I don't know how to fix that. Maybe if I close some more programs. Uh, let's see. I'll close this program. I'll close. That's it. That's all I can close. But thank you guys for joining me. I'm going to go work on some music and maybe eat a sandwich. Maybe eat a...
you know, Kenny Loggins was really the, uh, the the master of movie soundtracks of the '80s. Look it up. I mean, he did Footloose. He did uh, he did uh, Footloose. He did Over the Top. He did Caddyshack. He did a lot of movie soundtracks. I think he was in the business of making movie soundtracks. I think Kenny Loggins was like, "What's your movie called? Footloose. Watch this. Footloose. Footloose. Footloose." Pay me a million dollars now. That's what, you know, that's Kenny Loggins for you. He's also Kenny Loggins, Loggins and Messina. Remember that group? That's a, that's a good group. So it was a partnership. Loggins and Messina. What was the song called? Uh, no, not a money. I'm so in love with you, honey, and everything. Oh, 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 oh. And every morning when I rise, I dip the fiend boy to my eyes. That's a good song. Check it out. That's how it goes. I leave it up to you to find it. That's Loggins and Messina. What happened to Messina? What happened to Messina? Mr. Messina was my fourth grade gym teacher. Maybe that's where Messina ended up. That's what I'm wondering. Mr. Messina. Mr. Messina. That's where it happened. Kenny Loggins went on to make Footloose and Caddyshack. Mr. Messina went on to teach Jim. Uh, the TV analog of Kenny Loggins in the 80s was Mike Post. I agree. Oh, yeah. Also, Alan Thick. Alan Thick, remember that? Um, it takes different strokes. It takes different strokes to move the world. Yes, that's the facts. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and then you have Alan Thick. Alan Thick. Robin Thick's father. See. What would we do, baby, without love? Oh, that's not him. That's uh, what was Growing Pains. It's like, Growing Pains is supposed to take place on Long Island, by the way. I'm on Long Island. Does this look like Growing Pains to you? Where's Leonardo DiCaprio? Where's Kirk Cameron? So I can punch him in the face. <laughs> oh, man, Kirk Cameron is trending every day. What is going on with that? Um, what was the theme song to Growing Pains? How'd it go? Sha-na-na-na? No, that was the other one. <laughs> I'm cracking myself up here. I'm enjoying this. Kenny Loggins, he made the beard cool, I think. Oh, what? I was watching Amber Heard video. Sorry, I can't get out. I can't, I cannot stop watching the Johnny Depp Amber Heard stuff because I literally, figuratively dated Amber Heard a few years ago. So you can imagine what my life was like. It was a nightmare. Um, oh, Show me that smile again. Don't waste another minute on your crying. Don't don't cry. It's bad for you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's Alan Thicke also, because, you know, he was in that show. So he said, let me tell you something. I wrote Facts of Life. Watch what happens if I'm in a new show. Um, 
Remember uh, Mike Stabone? Sylvester Stabone. That was it. Um, what happened? Why did Kirk Cameron turn out to be a knucklehead? Oh, because he's an actor. Listen, I'm not going to disparage actors, but I will a little bit. See, here's the thing. Actors don't have to be smart. They just have to act like it. <laughs> uh, as evidenced by Kirk Cam Cameron, everybody. Kirk Cameron was a teeny bopper. They say he said, look at him and, uh, and like, let's take a picture of this guy. And he said, okay, take a picture of me. And they said, let's make this guy say words. And he says, okay, I'll say the words that you're making me say. And then that guy, Kirk Cameron said, listen to my thoughts. And then that was the, that's where he went wrong. That's the problem that happened with Kirk Cameron is he started thinking he was thinking. And then he started talking and then he said, well, listen, Kirk Cameron, no one asked you what you thought. I make jokes about this a lot because sometimes I'm on set and it'll be a comedy, see? And maybe the actor is a good actor, but they're not a good comedian, see? So they'll write words for the actor to say and the actor will say those words and you go, ha ha, good joke, you know? Because the writers wrote a good joke. The writers are smart, you know? The writers are like, oh, say this, <laughs> say that, okay? <laughs> you know? And they're sitting in the side, and then they hear the, the actor say it, and the actor says it, right? And then they yell, cut, and then the whole crew laughs. Ha ha, good joke, very funny, very funny, good joke. Then the actor thinks, everybody thinks I'm funny. But what the actor is not realizing is, they only think you're funny when you're saying that other person's words. See? It gets complicated. It's tricky. Uh, you want to, you want to temper their um, narcissism because you're like, wait a minute. Then see what happens is the actor then takes it upon themselves to start trying to make the crew laugh on their own recognizance. They they try they go, hey, why I, you just all laughed at words I said. Now let me say an, other words that come out of my head, and then it's, it's really awkward sometimes. It's really sad and awkward, and everybody's like, uh. Just say these words. Just say the words that they wrote down for you. Just read the paper and say that, because we want to hear those words, not the ones in your head. <laughs> I'm being silly, but also truthful. I can play that all day. I wave to the dangerous bone. Loggins and Messina broke up the year I graduated high school, 1976. Well, I'm, I'm declaring it. I'm going to start a petition. Loggins, Kenny Loggins and Mr. Messina, my fourth grade gym teacher, they should get back together. I think that's what I think. Kenny Loggins and Mr. Messina. I wonder what's, what Mr. Messina is up to. Sorry, sorry to hear that they broke up. That's a very sad thing. I like Mr. Messina. He wasn't writing many songs. He was just blowing a whistle mainly when I knew him. He would say, uh, I'm going to say your name, and then he would tell me if you're prepared or not. And he would say, um, Murray, prepared. Stevens, prepared. Thompson, unprepared. You get you only get four unprepareds. 
means you brought sneakers and the shorts. Anyway, growing up on Long Island is fun. It was fun. By fun, I mean it's an island. And on islands, um, they're, they're, they're surrounded by water, generally speaking, when you're talking about islands. And they, uh, they're insular, meaning they're a bubble. Meaning people don't leave, they perpetuate the culture. <laughs> they're, they're stuck inside a bubble. And, it, and things don't really change that quickly inside a bubble. So my experience here has been a mixed bag, to say the to say the least. You know, I was joking earlier. I was at a um, a party. It was this is the best Memorial Day weekend I've had in my entire life. I got to say, it was a great weekend. I had a great time. We hung out with some nice people and and, and went to the beach even at, at Hampton Bays, and it was great. However, when I was at this party on the other the other day. I looked around, I noticed, I was like, this is on a dock. There's lots of boats. I'm the only brown person here. Holy moly. This is... that, And the band... Now remember, I'm the only brown person. So, now imagine this band. The band, they, they were playing reggae and ska, Billy Joel covers. <laughs> and I was like, it doesn't get any more secret society Long Island than this right now. I feel like I've infiltrated what white people do. I feel like I'm in the natural environment. It was just, it was a yacht club boating extravaganza, extravaganza. And the only brown people who looked like me were the help serving drinks and stuff. So it was, it was interesting. There were hundreds of people there. But I, I couldn't help but notice I was the only one who looked like me. And it wasn't because I wanted to notice that it was that I was reminded of it repeatedly. Hey, you know where that hairstyle is from? The seventies. And I'd say, Oh yeah, that's when curly hair started. Oh yeah. The seventies. Yeah. That's when, uh, that's when curly hair started. Curly hair is an anomaly here. You go around when you look like me and it, people take it as an invite just to make a comment. I would like to comment on your appearance. I'm a stranger. I don't know you, but I will make a comment about how you look. <laughs> because we all look the same and dress the same. But you, you look different. And I'm going to tell you that. This is my experience on Long Island. It's a danger zone. But I have fun with it, you know. What I'm going to do now, from now on, though, remind me, uh, I'm going to video it every time. As soon as someone comes up to me and starts talking about it, I'm going to go, boop. Oh, really? Cool. Let's have a conversation about this. And then I'm going to record it so you can all see what my life is like. <laughs> it's hilarious. And I promise you, I will make it funny. Uh, as, as funny as I, as I can. Other than that, I had an excellent time. I had an excellent weekend. I saw Top Gun. I went to the beach. It was all... And I also learned that curly hair started in the, in the 70s, and that's when, this is, that's when this hairstyle is from. It's not from, it's, I was also asked if I carry a pick in my back pocket. I said, no. 
I roll out of bed. That's how I achieve this look. Well, thank you guys so much. I'm glad that we covered everything there is to cover. Logan's a Messina. We miss you. We need you back. You're the Hall and Oates of 1974. You should be you should be here with us singing songs together. Mr. Messina, sorry you had to go back to teaching Jim after the breakup. You and Oates, I imagine are gym teachers. I can't go for that. No, no, no can do. I can't go for that. I can't go for that. I do carry guitar picks, Chiroptera. However, I lose them all the time. Plus, I keep them in my front change pocket. It's the right size for the pick. Or, I just keep them on my forehead with Vanderwall's forces. Uh... I suppose it's Van der Waals forces, right? What it would this be? There's just electromagnetism, I think, on some level. It's, I mean, it's, it's adhering. It's cohering. Right? Who's a science teacher out there? Mr. M- Oates? Garfunkel? You guys, uh, you guys teaching substitute teachers now? Messina? All right, I got to see the show Oats and Garfunkel. I think there is a show called Oats and Garfunkel. Ah, everything is made already. Jim Messina created the group called Poco. Uh, uh, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. I like them this much. <laughs> Poco? Oh, yeah, then, you know. Forehead sticky. Thank you for the scientific explanation as to how this happens. Oh, I dropped it. I will never see it again. Adhesion. It's adhering. It's not cohering. Cohesion is like water with water, right? This is adhesion. I like it. I'm, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make use of physics in my life. He played Poco in nineteen. He played with Poco in nineteen sixty-eight. Interesting. We're learning all about Messina. He taught Jim when I was in fourth grade. I don't know how you teach Jim. Okay, here's a ball. And then you blow a whistle, and you wait forty minutes. <laughs> it's pretty. I mean, teaching Jim is really managing about 32 minutes of time. (laughs) If the period lasts 40 minutes, say, you give the kids four minutes to change, four minutes to change back, and you say, all right, I'm looking at 32 minutes here, and I've got a whistle. Yes, Penny, Penny says, yes, that is cohesion because it's different molecules. Unless you are composed of guitar picks, which is possible. Uh, you, hey, you don't know me. Actually, you do. <laughs> so uh, that argument does not stand. But that, yeah. I could be, at this point, I should, I, look, I'm made of five guitar picks right here. 
it was something like that. This pit, uh, listen, if I needed to chop a finger off, by the way, and I know that this is something you ask yourself all the time, <clears throat> it'd be this one. Listen, I'm not going to join Yakuza anytime soon, but I'm just saying this one goes first. This was, if I make a mistake, I'm going to say, look, sorry, chop this one. Take this one. I don't need it. I don't really need it. All these I need for my music. This one, I'm sorry. <laughs> Take it. Let me show you my solidarity. I'll just chop it at the knuckle right here. Coroptera says, that's where all your picks go. They absorb into your chemical makeup. Yes, it's, this will dissolve. And Watch. See, watch what happens. Gone. It's gone. It just absorbed it. I resorbed it into my pick body. Uh, the thing about classical music is you have to practice it. Who's got time for that? Ain't nobody got time for that. Maybe I'll just do that. I'll just do streams of me practicing classical music. See? Gotta start again. nylon string guitar that's where you come into play you can support this show by listening to it as a podcast or you could subscribe on twitch which gives you access to the discord or best of all you can go to patreon.com slash aristotle full throttle and pledge one dollar pledge two dollars pledge five dollars pledge one thousand dollars a month to aristotle full throttle pledge it on patreon one dollar a month come on you don't even spend that Little on bubblegum. And you can get such hits like this. For only nine ninety nine ninety nine. Um Poco's greatest hits. If you like Loggins and Messina, well, fret not, we got all of Messina. Consists mainly of a whistle being blown. And the long lost Zamfir Messina album. 
Mm-hmm. If you don't know who Zamfir is, he is the master of the pan flute, which is a beautiful instrument. And if you have the chance to listen to Zamfir, run. Let's see if I can play that right. I said, all right, well, that's all I got. I'm going to go listen to Messina and Messina. Uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for hanging out with me. I appreciate that. This is a, a daily meditation that I, I enjoy creating with you spontaneously. Uh, I'm going to go work on some creative projects that I'm working on, <laughs> as you do. As you do when you live like a bohemian in Rhapsody. Thanks so much. And uh, thanks to... Uh, I feel like this is romper room. Thank you to Noel. Thank you to Chiraptera. Thank you to Penny. And I see who else is out there. Blurred words. You, you're fantastic. Kathy, thank you for being here. Rick Wozniak, you're a legend of raccoon raiders. Uh, go on raiding raccoons. Thank you. Bye, guys.